Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Broken Oars podcast. And um, today we have got another very special guest for you um, who will let us into more of the psychology behind the business of endurance and endurance sport. And we're going to have a great chat. But before I introduce him formally, I would just like to say that um, if you are enjoying our content and you're enjoying the stuff that we do, please consider logging on to our Buy Me A Coffee website where you can buy us a virtual coffee, which isn't actually a, a real coffee. We don't get coffee delivered to our house. Um, but it helps support the pod. Um, it makes my wife uh, question what I'm doing with all my time slightly less. And um, in general, um, it, it's enormously gratefully received. Um, and unlike many things on the internet, making a podcast isn't actually free, so your support is greatly appreciated. But getting that out of the way... Um, These Aaron. words cost money. These words cost <laughs> us money. <laughs> Buy us a damn coffee. Stop putting pressure on poor Andy. We're going to have a great chat. We might not. He might sign off in five minutes. Um, yes, so we have with us today... Um, Professor Andy Lane from the University of Wolverhampton. Um, Andy, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your varied and rather interesting career as a sports okay. scientist. The, uh, I'm Andy Lane. I'm a professor of sports psychology at the University of Wolverhampton. The, I've been a, um, the, did my undergraduate at Brunel in, in, in started in 1988. Finished my PhD at Bruno in '98. Um, I had two young children, and the, and we decided to cash in on the house prices. And we moved to Wolverhampton. And I've been at Wolverhampton um, for that for ever since, really. But I've gone. I've been a senior lecturer. I've, I'm a professor for about 20 years, nearly. Um, and I'm currently the head of psychology, head of the School of Psychology. Um, Sporting-wise, uh, and I only started out on my degree. It's all a bit of a Funny, I find it find funny. And I was going to be a professional boxer. So I was boxing quite high, reasonably high level. So, um, the uh, kind of, but not that that successfully. I fought world champions. I haven't beaten world champions, but it says that's the kind of level you're at. And then I was building. I was a builder at the time. And I sat in the library and I couldn't find the paper. So I looked at what course. It was chucking it down with rain, and I thought, oh, hold on. I can do some of these courses. My art and sociology A level could come in could come into play here, uh, <laughs> and so I applied and I got in at Brunel because Brunel's accepted an A level and sport, which I did to boxing, and I just plodded on. And so I, I boxed, and then whilst boxing, stopped boxing when I went to university. Then started doing endurance running, really, and triathlons because we'd always we always did running as boxers. We'd always enter the uh, a local 10 miler um, and do quite well, do quite well. As when as a boxer, I wanted to do under an hour for that. And um, the uh, whilst you that that puts you in the category of all the runners, so you are a boxer running with all the runners. And and my dad, who saw me come in in 59 minutes, just found I just I came in busting and he found it. What, what are you we laughing for? He says, All the others look different to you. Uh, and so and so, but and then I am. Wanted to do a marathon in under three hours. I thought I could do that when I was about 25. And the first go, I missed that by quite a bit. Um, 
and then kids came along um was it 25 kilos added came with it I, w I wasn't carrying the kids i might as well have been and then when i got to f uh, i got to one of the landmark ages which you two might not be at yet 40 i thought this is no good i don't know it's yeah, a long time in this let's get a long time gone <laughs> the next one's that's 50 funny. that's proper grim and then uh, yeah the um and then you get over the 55 and you start looking at the 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 unimaginable age it comes up i wanted to do a marathon under in under three hours uh i got into that again for about 2007 eight um and then eventually never never that when i set these goals that i don't i got that in, in 2015 at london i think it's my 17th marathon then i got injured but then we got into then we got into indoor rowing a little bit at the gym when i was been various times of injured so and lockdown 2020 lockdown 2020 um i was in i was in the gym in january looking at the paper spoke to my mate greg white who's a physiologist i said what's going on they're shutting down the swimming pools he said they're shutting down everything so i bought myself a concept too it arrived on my birthday march the 23rd um which is i share with steve redgrave and chris hoy and mo farah joe calzaghi <laughs> And, uh, and so on. We all share it together, and, and they don't send me cards yet. Um, when I find my sport, anyway, got the concept too, and um, I've done a bit of that. I've taken part in the um, I've taken part in the national two K, which is in um, the velodrome in London, and the Manchester one. Bit of, all good. I mean, bit a bit of fun. I listened to you, and I've, I uh, lockdown was quite good for indoor rowing. It's good to have an indoor rower in lockdown. Because there's quite a lot of indoor rowing sessions. I can't remember which groups that did it, but you could join in and row along to connect, have that sort of social connectivity with, to um, to what you're doing. And uh, yeah, uh, work-wise, and I plodded on with Professor. Loads of research. We had a good research project which we did um, with the BBC called uh, "Can You Compete," which which was done over at the Olympics 2012, where we did an online project to look at the effects of psychological skills on emotions and performance, which was a nice part of that was, you know, when people do studies and they go, we're never going to get any people. It's going to be quite difficult. We've never got any money. BBC Lab UK said, don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the people. Think big. So we tested and I thought, and I was, they said, I said, who are we going to get to run these interventions, which was basically a film. So they said, I said, I don't know. And they said, well, here's your choice. And they gave me a choice. So we went with Michael Johnson. The Olympic sprinter, as in the Michael Johnson. Yeah, the Michael Johnson. Okay. Yeah, he he he's quite good, isn't he? He's excellent. He's excellent. He is excellent, and he delivered these self-talk interventions, imagery, and and uh, if-then planning, rela relaxation across four different outcomes. But I mean, the nervous bit around that, as a, as a, that we were then we were designing the projects, which we were showing to Michael. So that's on the effects of psychological skills on, in essence, motivation. And then the, there's a test of credibility when he reads them, isn't there? So you've got yeah. the BBC guys are modifying it, and they're basically Michael's lines. And then you think, oh Jesus, what's going to happen if this goes all badly? Or the sense of anxiety. But he didn't. We did. He recorded them. The project was launched off the one show. You know, 30, Ricky Gervais and Michael Johnson talked about the project you're doing. Um, which, as a person who developed these things, is is you just kind of think, wow. Uh, it was the. Um, you, you could join in and all those things. 70 odd thousand people did it in the end. And we've published a few articles in and around that great bit of work in terms of, of 
being able to control something, get the resources to do it. Um, the nice part of that was, and, this, and a good part of all the, a lot of the research I've done, is that on completing it, it then triggered a feedback from Michael. So if they were consistent, it then said, you've been consistent, that's good. Consistency is good. And, the, and re, there's reasons why that was, why that was um, the case. And it gave her then, they, they did an emotional profile of which we then, they then got um, fed back from Michael as well based on what score they did. And uh, we then wrote a script for a whole series of different videos, which looked really good, really personal. Oh, so, that so, sort of thing. so, I mean, it, it, it's almost like a decision tree of videos. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You, you start off and it's like, this is your goal. We want you to approach it like this. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, are, are you keeping going? Are you not keeping going? It, here's a video if you are. Yeah. Oh, right. So, I mean, something like that. It was more complicated than that. And you have to cover every different possibility of numbers. So you have numbers going in and then that numbers triggers a video to be recorded, which is then meant to be useful. And then you have to, to uh, sense test it by doing the most illogical numbers to see how it goes. Okay. It's quite, I guess, in terms of scale, so you think of site, site, so if you said, I mean, I did, did this because we ran a project with Runners World on running a psychological skills program for, for runners. Um, of, uh, and in that, I didn't have all the backing of the BBC. So I've set the project up and I basically did that manually. But Runners World did it and I didn't restrict the number of people doing it. So a thousand people signed up, which put me into a put me to give feedback to a thousand people if they went through the whole project. So th at that point, I'm thinking, how do I then group this together so that I can automate it? it because no, it's then timing to do so. And so it was it was a way of your your emotional profile is like this and this an emotional profile like this um, might be beneficial in these contexts. And, gave them some feedback there on, but it's, it's in that thinking to try and scale it up. And that is you know, one of the lines of research I've, I've done before and since then is how can people access sports psychology? And, you know, most of your listeners will go, well, they won't have access to sports psychologist. And because when they'll, they'll, and rightly so to a degree, because it takes so long to get qualified, you know, degree, um, higher degree, then, three or four years of professional training, possibly a PhD, all of that. I mean, that's, you know, you look, that's 11 years mm. in itself. Um, so the person's not going to charge 30 quid, are they? No. So the person's going to get them. They're not mod, they're a club level um, performer. They go, yeah, I've heard about goal setting. I've heard about imagery. Can I see a sports psychologist to do so? Yes, you can. Here's, give us 500 quid. They won't want to do that. But if it yeah. is, can I access some self-help stuff? Can I have it done in a way that is um, testable? So it's not because um, we've done a load of work on placebo where people, you know, the ergogenic aids industry have got a lot to answer for in, an, in as much. I mean, I started doing triathlon. All the triathletes were taking L-carnitine. And I looked at that recently. They're not taking that anymore. They're taking something else. And, and the, the placebo benefits of so if you take something, you're going to believe it's going to work. So all the athletes start taking it as well. And they, it, it works for a while because whilst everyone believes it, they think they're more confident, they try a bit harder, they've got a sense of resilience about what they've taken. The only thing is, is that there isn't an actual underlying, or in some cases, there isn't an underlying mechanism to make that work, which you pushed Andy Jones for a little bit on that as well. There isn't an underlying mechanism to, in the Andy Jones podcast about beetroot juice. You pushed him about the, the, the placebo effect. 
And he admitted that there is a placebo effect, but there's also a biological effect. Lots of the stuff, there's no biological effect. So you try, you try and build all of that into it as well to try and, um, to try and get, get people something useful. So we've, we've tried to do that as well with, with various different projects around, of, often running, because running is a very easy sport to do research in. That's one reason. Is that just because there are so many people doing it or...? Ah, oh, you see, you, you can get this. So if you want to get someone to complete a questionnaire shortly before competition, how difficult will that be if they're in a boat? You mean on the start line waiting? I would have welcomed it. Anything to take my mind off what was <laughs> just, about to happen. Yeah, just like some distraction might be nice. But oh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 not the ideal place. Okay, practical yeah, bits. Go back 20, 10 years, practical bits. You've got pen, paper and felt tip pens. It's not happening, yeah. is it? They're no. soaked. They're soaked. Um, the... The, you're not even you're not you can't get if you go to the you could go to a running race and you could come away with a hundred people mm. yeah. if you go to a rowing race you spend all day you'll get 20 or 30 and there's and then you have to go through the coaches and you and it's just it's just more it's um we just be built up a lot on running partly because it's it's easier and they're receptive they sit runners tend to say yes to taking part fair enough well, you know what rowers are like, Lewin. Grumpy, bad-tempered, surly, can't rub two words together. But entirely bribable with cake. Yeah, we are bribable Who isn't? With cake. Who isn't? <laughs> yeah. Who isn't? I mean, that, that, that's the thing. We're a very, very pro-cake sport. I mean, if you just, like, set up a free malt loaf stand, you know, malt loaf and cream cheese, that, that's a good one. Free malt loaf, cream cheese, just, just answer this questionnaire. Um, answer as many questionnaires as you want. You can have as many slices as you want. Um, that that works really well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do <laughs> see what yeah. what you're talking. So you, you're kind of really looking for that. So like not just pre-race, as in we're all here at for a twelve o'clock race at ten o'clock. You're actually looking for we're standing on the start line, pretty much. How do you feel? The, you, what you want is there's a balance there's between that you want to you want you to, to start science of it you want to study the thoughts and feelings people experience immediately before and during and in order to get an understanding that the, the prior to part um, becomes useful and having some gap before the start because if you assess somebody we did with you know peter terry's work who worked with me who's my phd supervisor but he did it all on the um all on uh, Olympic athletes, but you assess them about the night before and get their mood profile. If their mood profile looked poor, gave an, an, gave him a time to intervene, and that's really useful. So you've got that as well. What the from the science part, you want to study it, but from the intervention part, you want a period of time where you can actually get in and make a difference. And that, and that because that's where the you know, the science and the practitioner ba balance and tension kicks in a little bit, but. Um, from the researchers bit you want it in you want it you want it in you want to you definitely want to understand about that but from the practitioner's part you'd need a bit of time in between the two and so but so when you and then so when you read the literature you want to know um when measures were taken and how they were taken yeah so could i just like take a quick step back you, you develop this process which is w would it be fair to call it an automation of sports psychology as much as 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 much as possible. Yeah. Have have people like Training Peaks and Strava not been knocking your door down? Um. No, I've not. But I've not pushed it to them. 
Okay, fair enough. I had spoken I, to Training Peaks and Strava before, but not to push it. There's Strava part and Training Peaks. What I was pleased with Strava was to get perceived exertion and some rating scales on the, in the, into their database. So they've now got that. Um, the um, they've, they've now got that, yeah. Okay. So, no, it, it just seems that, you know, you've got a lot of these companies that are essentially trying to give you training programs, mm. training advice is through automated algorithms. Mm. But it's all try and do this session at this speed for this long. Mm -hmm. You might throw power, might throw heart rate, whatever it is. Mm. But it seems as though having, oh, look, we you can get automated advice on top from Matthew van der Poel or... Uh, well, actually, to be honest, let's face it, most of the cyclists I know would probably sign up for Lance Armstrong giving them advice in a very gruff Texan voice. Um, <laughs> but you feeling, know. Ten feeling tense and nervous before a race, take some testosterone, you'll feel better. Um, well, yeah, I know. We, we, there's there's obvious, like, you know, ethical considerations. But it, well, yes. It, 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 just, it just seems like, you know, th this would be what a, a unique selling point for any kind of automated you know mm. your garmins and strava and whatever it is anything that's like takes your data gives you a training plan possibly adjusts it accordingly i'm i'm, I'm quite surprised they haven't been all over you know they're like mm. not knocking your door down really but there you go um it's, you, it, well i mean the claim for the the, the type of precision um, and what for what you want to have it um, you know, is the BBC one that was that was an intervention around that was a very brief task and really the um, the intervention was designed around that brief task so um, it's one size not necessarily fits all and the actual becomes more complicated when someone has to then pick an intervention for a specific activity you have to then layer it down to all those different types of, of tasks all those different types but I mean the rowing one you could it could be around and the a 2k and 500 meters and you yeah. could load it into concept two that in this sense that was a good idea and the um the the yeah the psychology of the con of the 2k um you know people would buy into that um yeah no shit <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah no, no, nobody has any battles or concerns with like psychology and anxiety around 2k tests it's like yeah, we, it's we slept easy. like we slept like babies the night before that's it ah. yeah yeah oh, yeah no yeah that's only 2k so they have no trouble completing it as well do they yeah it's a really uh, short distance really short the, distance Nothing the uh, i think that i mean we'll get into the i think the thoughts of stopping that occur in endurance sport uh, are really intriguing um, and then, you know, you've done marathons and the, the thoughts of stopping tend to come out of sort of a, after a, a relative, the low intensity, but a long period of time. Um, but the thoughts of stopping that you can't do anything, you can get to that uh, in and about 170 metres in a, in a 500 metres if you get it wrong. And you think, oh, yes. I, I can't oh, finish yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You, you, you can, the ability to absolutely overcook yourself yeah. in, I, th I think be honest in any rowing race everybody's yeah. done it literally everybody yeah. has like completely misjudged their ability to go 
this hard for this long. Um, and it's just, you just, you just find yourself in this like world of like, you think you're going to die and you're, you're telling yourself you can't stop. Um, and like my most memorable one, I was in a boat with three other people, so I really couldn't stop. Um, no. And and it and it, it is a little bit nuts. Well, there's also I mean, there's also the there's also the brain play, playing tricks on you because we've both done races, you know, whether it's a head race or a two k or a regatta or whatever. Where after the first ninety seconds, our brain is saying you're done, you have to stop now, but you actually know that you've done the nine months of training and the five years of training before that. So you, you know, it's, I, um, I used to run with a, a runner called Kirsty Wade, um, Andy, who was a very good 800 meter runner back in the days when the East Germans were on little blue pills. And she said, <laughs> and she said a lot of going fast is getting comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable, almost yeah. like there's a, the, there's a landscape and you have to, you have to learn what that landscape is. So when you get, 300 meters into a 2k and your body hands in its anaerobic debt and says you must stop now you go no no i, I recognize this signpost i am here on this journey mm -hmm. is that what you are talking about in terms of psychological intervention or is it also an emotional because you mentioned something about different interventions for different um I, I can't remember like emotional types like we all have have an emotional makeup uh are, are you talking about just actually knowing what you can do and, and having kind of learned it by having done it? Or are you also talking about um, things that work in terms of emotional triggers for different people or triggers that will help different emotional um, spec spectrums that people have? Well, that broke up a little bit, but the um, the first part is, is worth going through is that the the physiological response will be that um, the uh, just a massive increase in um, lactic. Um, the the effect that has on on thoughts are that it is impossible to think about anything else. Hmm. So the the, the I mean, music later, but you can't listen to music whilst you were exercise intensity because the basic your basically your brain is then programmed to prioritize the. To dealing with the sense that the physiological sensations coming back so it's almost impossible you can't daydream you can't take external stuff in very easily um the internal sensation drive it um the there's a the, the experience is about learning to manage those mm. but within that experience is it then learning to learning to live with the language that comes through it so as as i mean then the, the, the tip is to go is to go is, is the reflection and then you work through with someone it quite and um the uh the concept two is quite good when you can work through someone's 2k because you can just drag the thing along and you can ask them to retrospectively go through their thoughts and feelings at different points and even better when you've got some physiological data running alongside that so the heart rate data is going in and that, and then you're getting to the point where thoughts wanting to stop and it starts becoming painful and the narrative which someone says um, you know, this is too much. And you, the, you know, stra the strategy can be is is to go. Well, actually, that's um, let's just isolate that voice. That's the that's your that's the, the that's the physiolo physiology talking. So, what's that saying to you? Because there's you as your goal. I want to do X time, mm -hmm. um, and the as you're getting to that, you're neg you're negotiating that away, and you're not happy with yourself and negotiating that away. Um, 
And so then that narration between yourself, we did a rather elegant study with cyclists where we manipulated their feedback. Um, we did it's a 10 mile cycle ride on an ergometer, um, which is which in one condition, we told them they were going faster than what they were. They didn't know this, by the way, they were blinded to this. So they were, when they got to the first mile, you say, oh, um, 225, right? And, or two, and so they're, they're going 26, 27 miles an hour. In, the, in the, the same condition, wherever time they got to, we gave them 5% back or 5% faster or 5% slower than what they are, which had worked out all those times so we could lie to them convincingly covering up the screen. And what we got was um, the expected negative emotional profile coming, with, coming behind your goals. Coupled with that was, an in, was an, a horrible self-talk. And then coupled to that was, a, was an erratic um, uh, race response. So some bursts of high intensity, dis highly disturbed physiological state. So lactate scores sky high, VO2 much higher in that, in much higher. Performance didn't really differ. But the, the, in the positive condition, they performed virtually the same. Um, if, if the physiological parameters, how much lactate they could tolerate, their VO2 was an indicator of the headroom they could move to. So if they could move their phys, they could move their physiology up to the higher ground. They just needed to convert that effort into pace. And therefore, the negative stuff basically said, well, actually, you've got a headroom of what you, you, can, you can tolerate much more. Um, what, the positive um, conditions, you... Um, um, you were far more far more economical in your movements. In the negative ones, you were far more uh, poor, eco poor economical and a very disturbed physiological state. But that is that's got some potential to go to. So that conversation with themselves is the difference between moving to the higher ground. Mm. That negotiation with themselves is the difference between actually moving to the higher ground that they're capable of in terms of their physiological output or not moving to the higher ground and going, I can't, it's too hard. I'm already maxed out. So, so you're, are you, are you, are you talking about training to neg the negotiation about changing the negotiation mm. so they can make that step? It's turning down the negative, turning mm. down the negative and finding something positive to think on that helps you get there. And okay. the, 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 um, what was our, that project was designed to, kick in all the natural evaluative statements people do about themselves too slow is to go i've got to push harder as opposed to being in the moment and being and being in the moment of a mindset that goes to try me as, as efficient as possible so the typical strategy we have with a cyclist to try and get it more efficient is to is to it, the image of your feet as steam as steam engines mm. and try and be as smooth and efficient as possible and get this that's absolutely right um and hold that image and to get rhythms and, and um, relaxing the upper body. So the knuckles cleansing up a time and the other thing and in and around that, but not be frightened of the, not be frightened of the physiological sensations that come back from that at the top end. But that really mm. difficult work to get there because you really are looking at helping people go to an even harder level of which the negative emotions was kicking them through. Yeah, and that's so you, but there's a potential. There is a potential to do so. That that's the bit, and it's the, the, the. I mean, you almost get that. You know, the if 
you take the beat route before, you think you can push yourself harder, you're prepared to push yourself harder, but you've got the beat route on your side, and therefore that can be the difference. So, you go so yeah, no, so uh, it's, it's almost, you have to go to this very negative place. You have to be in an environment where you are at a maximum output for whatever distance that is, and it's going wrong, to then learn how to deal with it. No, no, you don't have to learn to go, but you, you, you don't have to go wrong. Um, it, it, you need to you can pay attention to your negative thoughts because they're often okay. that they, they will often be quite damaging. They they often in essence, however they however they manifest themselves, they say slow down or stop. And slowing down or stop is is contradictory to your goal of achieving X. Hmm. You never so, achieve your best performance if you slow down. Yeah. So this is what Kirsty used to say about learning the landscape of you know what whatever distance it is. I'm here. I should be feeling. I know what this feeling is. I know what this voice is. This is this is the point where the the negative voice kicks in. You know what she hmm. called. You know she she firstly talked about going faster is about being relaxed at speed being as relaxed and as efficient as possible, which is as true for, for rowing as it is for running or cycling. Because yeah. if you tense up in a boat, it's death to everybody else in the in the crew. Um but being aware of the landscape means you kind of you kind of have to learn, you know, you have to go you have to go into the land of shadows and work out where all the hills are and where the path through the, you know, through is. But I I just want to wind back on this because mm -hmm. we always used to train with the radio on at Agecroft, unless it was a test day or um, mm -hmm. something like that. And Dennis used to talk about associative training and disassociative mm. training. It's like, don't put headphones on when you're on the ERG. He, he wanted us to associate with the feelings that we were mm. getting so that when we came to testing or racing, we, we weren't being sidetracked by what we were listening to and we could recognize what was coming up. Is that what you're talking about in terms of of, of of not having music on? Actually, really, really, and he also felt it was better because if you if you're associating with what you're doing, you weren't doing it mindlessly. You were thinking about your technique. You were thinking about various points of the stroke sequence. You were thinking about what it felt like. You were thinking about your power output. It was making you a better athlete than I'll put the radio on. I'll just knock this out while I'm staring out the window. Oh, great! That um, thank God that's over. Is that what you're talking about in terms of music and not music, or associative and disassociative? The, the uh, well, the um, going. How I said that earlier was was was, was to explain the effect of intense phys physical effort on mindset. It mm. makes it very very difficult to daydream or focus on anything on things external at the very extremes mm. because you, your body, your you know, there's a. Um, the, the idea that you can't run yourself to death type idea and people can but they tend to they tend to slow down before they get anywhere near that mm. um, the the I, the use of external stimulus to help you train you go quicker though is is complicated in, in as much that it can be very fun it can be very beneficial um, music can be motivational and your and you're not at the max remote for all of it. So at the points where that where that where I was talking about earlier, that's maybe only the two minutes or one minute in a race. Mm. So going into those parts, it might be that music helps helps you get into a rhythm. 
It might be that music helps you get motivation and inspiration. It might be that music helps you calm down so that your uncertain levels at the start quite work. The, um, uh, so a lot of the work I've done with, with marathon runners um, the, is, is, and whether, whether they're listening to music during or, or, or thinking of a song, but the trying to marathon runners who go out like it's an 800 meter race is a problem. If they if they do that for too long, mm. you know, don't run with your shorts as if your shorts are on fire. Is the message of which listening to a, a relaxing song at the start, sinking your running into that, it's not a bad idea. Um, if you're doing a a, a a training, you know your your um, uh, classic was it six times five hundred? The you um, <laughs> the uh, you might want you might want to put in you might want to select music. I know I do this. I select music which which is going to drive me through that. There's going to be parts where that is going to be in essence go this. The stroke rate starts dying. The effort per effort per stroke starts dying, and you want something that gives you wants your arousal to go up. So and I have songs that connect to memory to to connect to emotional states like that, and I find them functional. So you can pre-program it like that, but and the type of music will be awfully different. So headphones work because one person's what so one person likes and the other person doesn't like is massively different. True. Mm. So that's fun. It can be functional. The other it's just the other bit is that the uh, rowing is a bit of a tricky one on this. Is um, whereas running you can synchronize, so you can listen to music and and, and go. Actually, I'm going to run 180 steps a minute. I'm not. I'm a bit shorter legs, but so you can run. I did some work with a company called, who used to de develop music for this. So you can synchronize cycling. You can synchronize. Um, cycling's fantastic for synchronizing. Things like Motorhead for your high revving stuff. They are spinning away, and you can get right into the rhythm. And actually, quite rowing, almost a waltz. Yeah. A That's waltz time. But it doesn't work with a waltz. You try and you try and do it. Just try to do it with the waltz. It's really difficult. Yeah, waltz, well, waltzes have a fundamental element of swing time in them as well. And with all due respect to most rowers, I think the Agecroft men that I knew who were always first on the dance floor were a fairly rare breed mm. because, um, yeah, you need a certain amount of rhythm to be able to swing. Mm. And it's not necessarily always present in a, in a boat. I've just lost all of our listeners there. Fantastic. I but <laughs> if you set that up, because I... I've, you know, Costas Cara George is the guru of sports, sports psychs and music, right? Mm. And, and um, so I said to him, I want going to, I want to, uh, there's, there's tracks for runners, there's tracks for cyclists. What do I get for rowing? I said, I've, it's waltz, isn't it? And he goes, I don't think waltz will work. I think you want to try a 4 4 and are in and around um, what, what's your stroke rate? In and then starts coming into, trying to get tracks around certain stroke rates. And, and so you go in and out of the stroke, in and out of the rhythm. Yeah. Well, Lewin had an idea when we were at Agecroft for, for some, some kind of beat that you could follow for, for the, you know, the stroke, mm. the drive, the recovery. If you were in four, four, but you're counting it in three, then every, every 12 bars, you'd cut, you kind of come back to the start of the yeah. beat. Mm. So you, you, so you just, uh, you just have to have something with a very, very strong beat that you you're in here at this point you're here, at this point you're here. So you could do, you know, I mean, that you, but you're talking about polyrhythms then, but but it's not beyond the realms of possibility to go, right, we're doing 21K at 18 strokes a minute. This this is the tempo, this is the beats per minute that we need for 18 strokes a minute. 
this is the beats per minute that we need for um, 32 strokes a minute or whatever, but no one's actually done it yet. Um, so, yeah. If, you know. if, if, I, if I'm honest, the idea that I have, it, it was essentially like a very kind of slow bass line. So it would be a note for the cats. So it's like, and then a note for the cats, a slide, a quick slide mm -hmm. to the finish. Mm -hmm. Then a long slide in the other direction and kind of like a hammer on for the catch. Now I, I'd like to like sing it or something like that, but that's a very bad idea because I'm, you know, I know, I know what you mean. No, yeah, I, I, I think you should. Yeah. I think it'd get more listeners. I know what you mean. <laughs> I know what you mean conceptually, Lou. And so it's a series of sounds that, that mimic the, the, the rhythmic yeah, the sounds of the drive and the catch and what have you. I think it's I, I I think it's a good idea because explaining rhythm to rowers, unless you get it and when you get it you know it, it's like trying to teach a cat to juggle chainsaws. It's it's theoretically possible, but you end up with 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 a lot of shredded cats. You know, <laughs> it, it's it's huh? just it's so much more difficult than running and cycling to sink in. Mm. Yeah, it's so much done, and it's quite you know you can. Top push, pull the drag, pull the drag factor down, but no effort into it, and just I'm just going to keep this in the rhythm, and it's still really difficult. It's still hard, yeah. It's still hard. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think for me, I mean, I very much found the genre that I like, which is sort of fairly monolithic heavy metal, oh. um, where it's not about individual beats. Oh. It's it's almost kind of about the sort of like. The, the dynamics of them in across bars rather than within a bar. It, it, it because if you're if you're sort of running at rate twenty, like you want like the thing to happen, boom, and it's going to be like it's, it's another three seconds before you're coming back in there, and there's a lot going on, and it's almost more about about the riff that old kind of rise and fall of. The water under the shell fan blades in the in the fan housing, and that 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 sensation of surge and run and surge and run um, that you that you're trying to replicate in some form of music. But I also do recognise that whenever I've got any kind of hard piece to go to, it doesn't matter how much I love the music. It doesn't matter how much how motivational I find it on like a long aerobic piece within kind of like a third of starting like a really hard anaerobic piece. I'm not going to be hearing it. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's going, it, it's going to be lost as soon as I come back, you know, uh, and then it just comes in, in between intervals i'm just like oh yeah I'm, I'm really liking this it helps me recover in between intervals and it helps me like get g'd up for the next one but as soon as you go as soon as like that heart rate goes above whatever it is 150 or something it it's all just white noise it's you you just think i think that might be a rowing thing or a or an or an erg thing because i and this probably speaks a lot for my own psychological profile but i actually quite enjoy hearing the rhythm of the erg 
uh, I, I, you know, whether it's rate 18 or rate 32 or whatever, there's a very, very distinct rhythm that I find synesthetically very, very pleasing. And when it's, when it's happening well and it's flowing, is much more pleasing than when I'm rowing really, really badly. And obviously, I'm getting older now, so that tends to happen much more. Um, but, yeah, the rhythm thing is a very, very difficult one because you can count rhythm, but also your count, the, the counting it is a method that evolved to teach other people how to feel it and really, it's still all about a feel. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I know I'm talking to two bass players, which is... I'm not a bass player. Well, yeah, but you put those wonderful posts up about oh, bass players. Oh, I know that, but you can't bass. just diss, diss bass players like that. Well, yeah, I can, because <laughs> they're bass players. But no, no, no I mean, no, no. I, I thought we had two bass players. No, on. No, it, no, it was no, like no, being in a prog no. rock band in, in the 70s. The guitarist is finally outnumbered. The, uh, um, the, uh, uh, the, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, I play the guitar initially. I've not even, I mean, I, I was a, I was a lead singer of a punk band in the early eighties, oh, uh, and, and that's all. If you want to find that's all on YouTube, virus on YouTube. And, there's, and the, my um, one of the the, uh, the guitarist has written about five books about it. And they sell quite well in, in a so of which um, which uh, destroys my credibility. As a, as a my 16 year old self the stories are out there they're they're not all tr i know which ones are true and some of them are but most of them are not but it's all out there <laughs> i have this can, can i just say before we dive yeah. back into the yeah. serious stuff yeah. that i <gasps> absolutely i absolutely love your trajectory so um teenage punk band boxer pretty yeah. handy one by the sound of it um move from from uh london to wolverhampton I'm going to do psychology because I've got the A-levels for it. Becomes an eminent eminent psychologist and sports psychologist with physiological bells and whistles on. Running, rowing, I think that's much better than the right GCSEs, the right A-levels, the right degree, and this that's it, that mm. narrow train track approach. I think that's fantastic. Good, thank you. The, uh, yeah, the... Uh... Uh, early on in my career, Peter Radford, who was the head of the head of the department, who was, who was the, the Olympic medalist, said, um, "Get ten years' experience. Don't get one year's experience ten times." Mm. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Is, and you're going to, to try to try different things. So yeah, you can try different sports. I've done cycle quite a bit. Yeah, cycling as well. But all, yeah, all good. That's all good. Do you think that has that kind of um, patchwork quilt of experience? that kind of trying different things, has that informed your own, the development of your own psychological profile or was that kind of determination to just do different things already there? And the second part of the question is, has it informed how you look at the psychological profiles of others and the interventions they might need to help them develop or maximize what they're trying to do? Or is that just a silly question? No, the, the, the um, your own sporting experience is, and play a lot on um, they give you an inner knowledge about um, the very topics you're about to be stu studying boxing is a very good sport to get um, to look at sports psychology it kind of the the um, the it, you know, in football people go from playing with no no audience for a long period of time and then eventually get very good there's an audience all around them it's quite intense mm. in boxing 
you start boxing and then 12 weeks later you have a contest there's 300 people in and around there's a referee a judge and you there's a winner and a loser and it's as clear as that and the, the and it's and the person opposite you is trying to knock your head off mm. right so you kind of go you know i mean the you kind of go from uh, the pressures of of intense competition from the start there's, mm. there's no playing on it and that is that you know you get to the idea that most other things are not as difficult psychologically as that um, yeah. so that's a good learning curve for anxiety it's a good learning curve for collecting your um, collecting yourself and then thinking about how how you might have done better if you'd have you're aware of the the gap that your psychology has on your performance, and then the the importance of pulling it all together. And it's and it is about psychology that the needing you know the as you said the need to relax, but this is a very difficult place to relax in. Yeah, because I um there's an old adage which is anyone who you know whether you win or lose anyone who steps into a ring deserves a serious amount of respect it's a very very difficult thing to do it's a, it leaves you very very naked and very 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 vulnerable and if your identity is predicated on on being a boxer and being being good at it and being you know highly skilled at it and you get knocked out or you get beaten then that's almost like a, a physical blow to your identity a little um, bit look the, the the boxing community is very respectful of people who have boxed so mm. the boxers ex-box associations which are, are very welcoming they 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 meet you know, very welcoming if someone's boxed and lost a load they're not looked at it's not the records don't really matter that they've got in there they're they're, they're they've earned their they've earned their badges yeah and can i ask a quick because i um i when i lived in london i worked at the lennox lewis center in hackney with okay. um and i knew jimmy tibbs you know, well enough mm -hmm. to talk to, uh, lovely guy, fantastic trainer. And after work, because boxers used to train two and three times a day at that gym, I would go down and do the circuit with them. Okay. And this was before I started rowing. Mm -hmm. So I'd been a runner at Bladen Harriers and I, I was, I was gym fit and I was mm -hmm. like, this, this will be fine. Um, apart from a couple of Dennis's pyramids at Agecroft, it's the only time I've been physically sick after a circuit. Okay. How do you find having done lots of different things? I think boxing training is, is a, in terms of physicality, not just the getting hit bit, is among the hardest you can do. They work incredibly hard. How did you find your progression into running and rowing based upon having having done boxing? Yeah, the the, the, um, the boxers will know that the you the, you know. Muhammad Ali against you know George Foreman, you know, round seven, he's talking, and George comes back and again, Ali goes, This is the wrong place to get tired. You know, that bit where you're really you that the, the if you want to pull plug a gap, it is getting fit enough to not get to that position. So the, it's if somewhat to there's a fear of getting that tired in that situation that drives you on to um, push yourself that hard. Um so that there's there's that that's going into it. Once you've learned how hard it can be, then you learning to, you know, to push yourselves into that zone um, becomes part of it. The boxing training does or has been to set it up so it's also a test of mental toughness. Mm. And that's quite a good way to do it. If you see it as a test of mental toughness, those very hard circuits, and that the idea this is designed to see if it can break you and what you've got to try and do is get the mental resilience that even when what you're doing is not, you know, it's, it feels quite weak. 
you're still in there giving it 100 percent or giving it as best you can or then then you've learned a, a mental toughness strategy to be able to keep going until you until someone else tells stop so there's a lot mm. of the circuits are around you stop when someone tells you to stop yeah um, that that's quite good the the idea that you know, one, everybody in each sport pushes themselves ridiculously hard and then mm. the heart and sometimes the, the you know, boxing training certainly because i've done i then did some um i've done sports science support with boxers at to professional and world championship level it's getting them to not train so hard is is the is a key and getting to balance one one of the you know we intervened with one pro boxer who was building up signs of overtraining and we did quite a lot to actually to, the sparring sessions had to be done in a way in, in, a, in a physiological state which is not really tired so there'd be one or two days of technical training with not physical training then mm. the sparring which was very technical and then post sparring, and then the next that distance two days was very physical, of which those sorts of sessions would come into it. But it's then about periodization within a micro cycle. The the training to, to take into account that if you're you know, if you're bringing in someone to do a sparring session, paying them, you want to be mentally ready to get the most out of it. Um, and boxing is really intriguing. Not only you have that to it, and then you add on to that. And there's some really nice case studies around the um, around um, the mixed martial artists by Carl Lang and Evans, if you want to look at it up, where they case studied a, 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 a an MMA fighter, a well-known one, of which the the drop in body weight is colossal. So you look at all that hard training, and you look at the amount of calories they're eating. So they're on about a thousand calories a day for several weeks. On two or three thousand calories a day training, and you think, Jesus, the mental side of that is you are exhausted mm. and feeling really weak. And going to build up to a contest in that in that state is absolutely is absolutely dreadful. You do it in no other sport, but in boxing, you've got to be at that weight. So incentive drives actions. Mm. It's, it's the, the not eating training hungry means that you'll make the weight. Real real duality in. This I feel terrible going into my training, but I'll explain that as I'm as a good thing because I'm getting nearer the weight. Because so, again, it's that process of looking at having a negotiation mm. with your kind of like subconscious, or not subconscious feelings, but your so it's your higher brain having a conversation with your lizard brain, essentially. Your two brains are having a chat with each other. That's right. You have the, the, there's a really nice theories around goal conflict, of which we have lots of goal conflicts. We don't know what they are, and sometimes they ex and sometimes they explain why we're unhappy or or um, why our behaviours are contrast. People want to lose weight, so they want to lose weight, and then they get offered a cake in a social setting, so they eat the cake, and then they chastise themselves later on, and you go, "Oh, I've got no self control." It's not you've got no self-control. You, you, well, at one point, you said you wanted to lose weight. That was your, that was your primary goal. But in the social setting, you wanted to fit in. Um, the, the, the eating a cake connects with all sorts of happy experiences. So in other words, what you would, what, at that point, the losing weight goal was absolutely asleep, completely overridden by this second goal to, um, to fit in with everybody else, of which that, that took precedent. Now, it would be... The, 
the management around that would be how much cake you want to eat. Be aware that you want to that you know in and in, be aware of how, of, of how much you want to eat and then be be aware of the the other goal that's going on so you, there's that you could renegotiate that that if you say i want to lose weight and it not change with it you then can get something called an if then plan is that if i get into a social setting where everyone's eating cake i'll happily join in with the cake eating but this time i'll eat a tiny small part to make a to make the to, to accept that that goal is going to drive your behavior it's not poor self control it's 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 accepting that you've got this second goal that it will be fairly relative will be powerful and you work with it and manage it so that your goals are less are less are less in an argument right so i mean it, it seems like because i mean I'd, I'd really like to sort of drive down to the bottom of this so we you know the people who are listening take, take a kind of like lesson and they gain the maximum from it it seems a lot of it is experiencing feelings, analysing what those feelings are. I mean, as you said, it helps when you're looking at the course of the race and, you know, internal signals, the heart rate, everything like that. So you analyse where the feelings are coming from, not necessarily in race, but in a task you go through that whole process and then you say right at that point i felt this and this is how i responded to the feeling what else could i do so it's, it's almost it's not necessarily it's not psychology it's almost you're planning for dealing with what you are going to feel yeah the um the separating the psychology from the physiology is problematic you, you can you can Try to if you want to, but at the the point where this goes wrong is typically in uh, intense periods. The the um, the you know it's very good to to, go, to reflect and go through one of your events and and then narrate down what your um, self talk was all about, thoughts and feelings are all about. Your practice and around that might be um, I would prefer to be saying this, um, and that's quite useful to try and reprogram your self talk. Which can sound a bit, um, uh, a bit uh, unrealistic to some degree, um, and that may not work for you. In some, in many events, you, you, because you experienced it, you can then use imagery to, to block out and see yourself performing the, the event. Do it from the perspective of the performer, so you can watch yourself perform it and try and recreate those feelings at that point turn off the negative talk so you're focusing on the here you're focusing on the here and now the kind of language i think is quite useful is to try and is to try and fix your head into some sort of thoughts that are functional of performance in that moment so the cyclist to try and be functional around smooth rhythms um the the uh the rower to try and uh, maximize the benefit of the recovery and not and not rush to try and to try and micro part the catch so they get the the best part of the catch in in one go they can an imagery you can slow that down to to try and get that mini moment to what it actually feels like um you can then you can set up an imagery you can then set that into drills if you like to 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 do so so that you can then condition in the um those little pots of how you want to be at those crucial moments so again it, it's not there is not some kind of like mystical 
ethereal woo that sort of like happening inside your head and it, it, it's it's a question of just the part of our body is our brain it's going to have certain responses in response to certain stimuli let's examine those responses and train the most functional of them absolutely the well, and the, the, and that's everybody so your non-exercisers are, are typically not very good at managing symptoms of fatigue coming back to them uh, and we know that when people do the you know, couch to 5k they get into running really quickly and part of that isn't a physiological change it's it's partly physiological, but they tend to be much slower. What happens is, is they suddenly go, actually, I'm not going to, this is not going to be catastrophic. I can cope with this. This isn't too bad. Um, the, and it, that will come with them usually starting exercising at a slower intensity. So they've learned about themselves. And from that, they then go, they, they start in a comfortable state and start going, actually, you know, once you've for most people, the first 10 minutes is torture. And for experienced people, they go, the worst bit is the first bits. And as you get older, it gets even, I, my opinion, it gets even worse. And that n narrative to get yourself out the door, narrative to get yourself started, no problems getting, but to actually, to get to a point where you're ready to push yourself quite hard, it takes a bit longer as you get older sometimes, it does for me. Um, but it's not to beat yourself up over those things. It's to be, it's to take the judgment out, and it's learning where the, it's learning. I mean, it's on a very simple part. It's the learning to stop judging yourself about the um, where you're going, how fast it is, and all those things, and be in the moment, and to try and make it as efficient. And if that, if you want to go as hard as possible, that that's fine. If you want to go as smoothly as possible, that's fine. You might actually find that going as smooth as possible is also as fast as possible. Um, the uh, yeah, the the and we we've got technology now that that, that uh, helps that doesn't it? So with the concept too, you can put the graph on to see the nice, well, for the yeah. nice like that the power um, curve, the power curve um, yeah. and the you can see when you're starting to you can you can see it, you can you can see when that's going well um, in cycling what bikes are fantastic for that right you can do your hardest sessions but the what bike will allow you to do a, the trace of your, your pedals mm. and yeah, i think the, I, the, the yeah, yeah absolutely i think that's great to put that on because it's stop it's just and you start to switch the minds that have been in the moment and they're being the best in the moment is really quite useful mm. um, it's why Deep you know in a, in a in a in a in a in a marathon where someone feels knackered after three miles it's, and, and then judging, I'm going to be really tired at the end. Well, you go, actually, you just need to ease back a bit now. You've got no idea how you like to feel at the end. It's likely that you're going to be knackered at the end because you're likely to try a bit. Once you get to 23 miles and you, you feel you're, there'll be some goal typically you want to get to, and you'll increase speed if you can. But you don't need to judge it from there. You don't need to, and you don't need to judge that at all. And it's, you know, when you, it's when people have done ultras that helps people's mindset when they've done an ultra they'll learn about the waves of fatigue and the mm. idea that you, well, I've been going for five hours now and I feel good and I don't know why. Mm. <laughs> and then at, at seven hours, they feel terrible. And, and, at, and at 11 hours, they feel absolutely awful. But 11 hours coincides when they typically get their deep sleep at night, some typically, and so on. But they have waves. And the idea that once you accept you can have waves of fatigue, 
then it stops you then taking a, fa a fatalistic judgment. I'm tired and that's it now. Now you'll come, you, just need, you need to just do something to change that. Typically, that's in, it's about easing the pace off because that is this, there's a massive physiological, physiological component to that. But it could also be about getting nutrition in, getting hydration in, finding a strategy that would work. It could be that you are bored and you are, yeah. your inner voice has got so negative that you're now saying, oh, this is not worth it. It, the you know what will happen in intense exercise is that it will question whether you really want it, hmm. and and the, which is why those really peak performances you want to go for your PB in the two k, you've got to have the motivational conditions to do so. Hmm. So doing it on your on your own at home is harder for most people than a competition. For the competition, you've got the benefit of of co athletes to a. I mean, there's another lovely bit of research we we did with this, where uh, where where people uh, rowing is really good because people rowers tend to sink, and there's uh, the idea that humans naturally work together with each other. So when they when they do something together, it tends to be perceived as easier. Mm -hmm. um, same bit with music. Natural as an organ, there's an evolutionary part that humans naturally move to music as well, which is one of the arguments why we why music might be functional. But moving together, the argument that they're meant to move it easier. So the sticking people to row together certainly legitimates what you're doing. Can mean that you, if the person ahead of you, um, if the person it rows at the rhythm you want to do, I mean, works brilliantly with running this and does with rowing is that you sink your head into them so that that what you're trying to do is you try to just pick up their rhythm, and the idea that they're rowing you is quite good certainly works really well with running when you set a mental lasso on someone in front of you and you watch their feet and in cycling but it can work in rowing as well um which distracts you distracts you and uh, but it's not distracting in a way that takes you away from the task it keeps you on the task and then when you rowing it is brutal for this um certainly indoor rowing is then you look at the the what's on the front screen and, it's, and if that's going better than what you think, that cheers you up. If it's lower than what you do, you're back into the cycling study I talked about earlier. It gets you a bit more miserable. Um, the, the other bit is that covering the screen up also makes it worse as well. Blinding yourself doesn't help. Yeah. Tried that. It doesn't work. But, but <laughs> that, that's just, I mean, is, is that because you then can't see how far you've got to go? Is no, it, it's because you, you make it up anyway. You're the demons in your head about what they're telling you are, are, are then worse than what's in front of the screen. Okay. That that you not see. I mean, that's one possibility. It may be that uh, when you I rode the first marathon I rode, I knew it was going to take me around. I knew it was going to be over three hours. I did have. A, I had the obvious. I, as I had the because I was running for. I had the chasing my running goals on the rower. Right. I had that to yeah. get over. I had that, and now my rowing's beating my running, right? So I couldn't do a marathon under three hours, first go. I knew it wasn't going to be over three hours. I could see the clock on the side, and half an hour in, this is torturous seeing this. So I chucked the script. I said, oh, well, I'm not looking at that until I've got to an hour and a half, and I know I'm going to be here for three hours, so I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to try and get myself somewhere else. Okay. Fair enough. In other words, simply, I know that I'm going to be here, that's not going to help me at all because yeah. I know that I'm going to be another hour or so before I need to look at myself. I'm going to be pretending I'm rowing in the Atlantic and it doesn't matter. It's an all-day affair. Yeah. 
this is a little so, bit like the um the marathon and you're 10 miles in and you're going oh i better i better i better rein it in because because near the end i might feel terrible you're talking about getting yourself present in the moment so so don't worry about the future don't worry about how you're going to feel in the future because you'll find out when you when you get there you get there yeah you know dennis used to say you know race strategy go off hard you've done the work trust your fitness don't don't think oh i'll i'll not go as hard because i'll need something at the end because everyone's knackered at the end mm. so it's kind of like try and be as present as you can mm. Lewin, can Absolutely. i ask a question and it's based on this is performance this is a performance uh, question andy so we had harry brightmore on who's mm -hmm. the um the gb8 uh, cox and he said now that they take so much data at british rowing mm. so sleep data, um, waking heart rate data, um, everything. He said that the athletes now, when they wake up, take their heart rate. And depending upon what their heart rate is when they wake up, they will be able, if they were asked to do a 2K later that day, they'd be able to say within a split what, what they would get. Now, is there a point when being so self-aware and so knowledgeable about your own data will actually mean that... They'll wake up and go, oh, I, I, I can do a 548 today. And that kind of mental image means that actually, actually they've got a 544 in them, but they've gone, well, my heart rate says, and my sleep says, and my this says, and this says, it's a 548. So can you, can you data yourself out of a performance? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What a... Um... Graham Obrey is one for the first hour record. He um, he has a go. He fails, as a fails, but he goes right. I've still got the track tomorrow morning. So he's tried one day. I've still got the track tomorrow morning. So he then decides to um, have another go the next day. He the physiological preparation for that was clearly atrocious. At one mm. attempt at an hour record, I'll try it again the next day. But mentally. He has decided that he was that this was he he was going to have a crack at this. Um, if you wake up and you know, my heart rate's this, therefore that means this. Mm. Well, there, there's a lot of in, the, the, the well. I, I wonder how much their heart rate varies anyway. If between that on a so if their heart rate's a bit, you know, th there will be a bit that this looks odd. Well, I've looked. I've done performance monitoring where we've done with squads in the morning and where someone might be at risk of they look a bit like of overtraining they recommended out vary that it won't vary that much as um, they might be looking into the, the specifics of it there's a lot of belief going on in and around that that in and around that um, as to what you what you can do what you'd want to do though is clearly if there is that strong belief is do the almost the uh uh, and you want them to do their best performance is to give them a false positive. Okay. Okay. Right. So it, it literally say, there you go. It'll be a five forty two today. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You've, you've got, I've seen that five forty two today. Mm. What would be wrong with that? Yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, actually, right. This is this is a big one. This is a big one because. Um, I, I have this fundamental belief that I don't know about cycling and running, but certainly in rowing, I think there has to be an underlying dishonesty from a rowing coach to an athlete. 
in several different places. They have to be very, very skilled at keeping athletes on task mm. by saying, what we're going to do is going to make you win, as opposed to saying, what we're going to do now today is going to make you 0.1% better. But everybody else is doing it at the same time. Mm -hmm. The thing that is going to really cause you to win, we you don't necessarily have time to do, and we're not necessarily doing, and you didn't necessarily choose your parents well enough. And you know, and other things, it's like it's like cooldowns. Cooldowns have very, very little evidence to support them. But if you can, let's say you've got an athlete doing one medium and two hard sessions a week, and you get them to do a 15 minute low intensity cool down after each one of those, you've got them to do 45 minutes low intensity work more than you otherwise would have. And there you go. Okay, there you go. It's it's like it, that's all. That's an extra ten k of rowing or running or um, you know fifteen k of cycling a week that they've got in the bank at below their lactate threshold um, that they wouldn't have done if you hadn't told them this is going to make you stronger tomorrow. Um, and and so I, I think there is this kind of there is a requirement to be a bit tricky as a coach in a way that you can only ethically justify by saying we're all trying to get to the best possible outcome. But uh, you, you could look at it that way. Or you, if, you, if you strictly said, I'm only giving advice where there's a strong scientific evidence base, silence would be deafening <laughs> all right it would because there's for everything that there's you know you know andy jones has got a good evidence base for beetroot juice but there's lots of people who's, who are not so keen on that and there's studies that don't show it so there's studies that do and instead of that across almost all of science yeah um, and psychology is even worse for that because of the this arbitrary measures we use in terms of self-report so we ask people how anxious happy they are confident and so on on a scale from whatever that scale is but it's 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 at best an estimate it's at best an estimate and if they want to tell you that they're depressed they will if they don't want to hide it that they will as well yeah they want to and they want i mean what the 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 you know the, when we compare males and females for confidence, we get males a, a report being more confident. I don't think they are genuinely more confident. I think they just re relate to scales by never by in a very or many males do in a very stereotypical male way that they have to put themselves very high. And um, the Western, you know, uh, self-confidence Americans v Japanese. Well, Americans come more confident than Japanese. Is that Americans are going to perform better? Not necessarily. The, the Japanese culture is a bit more humble, and we all relate to those scales differently. The introspection. So you, you throw all those things in and around scientific data, and you go, well, we'll take the thing that A, should work, B, there's some evidence for it, 
and C, we know why it should work. That's why yeah. we throw in placebo as well. We've thrown, I mean, we did a, we've did a, a, a recent book chapter that says you know, placebo, benefit, placebo effects, belief effects run in, run in every intervention. And what you want to do is, mo is monitor them, measure them, and try and make use of them. How do you maximize? I mean, how, how do I get a really, really good placebo effect? The, ne the next time, I mean, do I just go and get some beetroot? Um, do you believe beetroot? How much difference do you think beetroot juice would make to you? Um, of soda made you 3% the power score. So, so what is it? 400 to 412 watts. But do you believe that it works? It's like faith. It's like being a Christian or not being a Christian. Placebo works if you if you believe it's going to work. That's the that's why it's called the placebo effect. If you're like me and you're deeply cynical and suspicious of everything, you don't think anything's going to work, and then you're pleasantly surprised when you cross the line and you've won. Andy, your your microphone has has died a bit. I'm not I'm not quite sure. I can't hear you anymore. You're still there, but we can't hear you. Yeah, so, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's almost the question is, how do I develop a belief in an other intervention? It, it that that that's that that is the thing that is like particularly on sports psychology side is like i find really fascinating because i'm i am a proud consumer of protein shakes and i don't think they make me any stronger i think in fact i know that they make the entire process of training more nice. I, en I enjoy my protein shake at the end of a training session. It's a nice way to put a full stop on it. Um, and I'm prepared to pay that, you know, literally throw that 50p in, in the bin every every time I do a training session because actually that that's worth it. It is, it's improving my enjoyment. I don't, I don't know how to extend that to something that makes me think this is going to make me faster. Um, I, I can, I can certainly buy into the beetroot thing. I, I've read about it and it, you know, we've got the whole kind of mechanisms of action and oxygen efficiency and all of those things. Do I just practice with it? Do I? How, how how do I develop that commitment to an intervention that means I'm not just going to get the biochemical advantage, whatever that may be, but I'm also going to get that underlying kind of two percent uh, that the guys in the control group get. Yeah, yeah. Well, what you're saying is, is there an intervention that works, and I can be persuaded by it? Because there's yeah. loads of interventions that you could be persuaded by that you might that um, where this you know the uh, um, the um, chimp paradox, which is Steve Peters stuff, mm. um, not really tested in scientifically, but massive beliefs. 
that it's very effective, massive beliefs that it's very effective. So people would read the book, identify their human and their chimp, and then follow some of the strategies um, which come, which are, are in that book, which, which in the in the in the case of fatigue management might be well your chimp gets emotional and then starts telling you to stop but your human wants you to keep going because it knows those really those goals of you doing x are central to your sense of how you are so you need to learn to manage that chimp so you, so what the book has and so you then get into a narrative with um with your own self-talk which is functional for when you get into a into an event and then you can actually you can actually keep yourself on the goals you really prioritized and not the res response to the physiology. The um, but your belief that you follow that and you go through that could be driven by a belief that this is this is going to work. Mm. I don't. I mean, I don't think. I mean, the uh, um, I think the the saleability and the convincingness of that model is absolutely. Is, I'm so jealous of that. that I, you know, we, Strava haven't come up to me, and I didn't think of the ship model. Is the other part of that's not that's good. Yeah, that is so persuasive that people follow it and report it's being beneficial. Um, scientifically, there isn't a there isn't much evidence that says it works. Scientific yeah. the, the neuroscientists, psychologists struggle with the idea of identifying those parts of the brain that are so powerful to the persuading message at the start of to start with the evidence for that is not so clear as it's presented in the book but it but there are other researchers which go if you know um, if you can persuade people that the cause of this intervention is to make physiological changes to your brain the intervention works much better so you say follow this package it changes the structure of your brain so it's, it's going to be better bigger effect it's basically it's basically like faith, though. That's the that's. I mean, I, I know I keep coming back to this because I'm a Geordie okay. Roman Catholic, but I bought the Steve Peters book because when we were at Agecroft, Mark Hancock, wonderful rower, mm. um, went. Oh, I've been reading this book about you know uh, Chris Hoy talks about it about caging yeah. the chimp and chimp management and that kind of stuff. And I read it and I kind of went, okay, stone of meaning, did chimp. This is this. This is, and I I didn't get to the end of the book. Um, not any diss about Steve Peters, but it's like what he's talking about is stuff that I have experienced myself in my life and I have or already identified as my chimp is my negative voice saying you can't mm. do this. And it, it comes out in moments of stress, either psychological or physiological or whatever. And these are the strategies that I've learned to deal with. I've learned to cope with it, which is, well, actually I can, I know I can do this 21 K piece because I did it last Monday and I did it the Monday before that. And I did it. So, so a lot of it is a system of beliefs essentially that you either buy into a, a, an action and they find, you find out that they work for you or they, or they don't. So Lewin's not going to get his Placebo that works, firstly, because he knows too much. Not that I'm suggesting you should be taken out by the CIA or anything, Lewin, but you've read a lot. You read about stuff to see if it works or not. And also, you're you're a grown man and educated, so you kind of know what works for you and what doesn't. And you also know that we're now in our 40s and 50s, and we're never going to beat our 2K score from when we were in our 30s and 20s. We're on the decline so you're not going to get a placebo effect or a, a system that makes you suddenly what you were 15 years ago, even, you know, in your case, more like two years ago. But you know what I mean? It's a belief system. 
if you believe it, it'll work. If you don't, you can't generate belief by by evidence. I mean, you can test it like the beetroot. You can um, definitely generate belief by evidence. Come on, yeah, you yeah, can definitely yeah, well, generate belief by evidence. Yeah, you, yeah. If you if you do something and it works, you have evidence that it works, which reinforces your belief. But it's like it's like Catholicism. I'm I'm lapsed because even though I was brought up a Catholic, and I've been to Bible studies and I've thought about whether there's a God or there isn't, I think that the uni I think God is another name for the universal. So I know the universe exists. I don't need to believe in it. I think I think it's metaphoric language used to explain who who we are and how we got here in in the scriptures in the Bible and what have you. That's the language they had then. We have different language now. So my belief in Catholicism, unless God appears to us now, is not Steve Redgrave or James Cracknell, then I'm not going to generate belief because there's no evidence for it. So I can't, from a standing start, leap to a position of I now believe in God. There's been no, there's been no Damasian moment. But you, if you get a system that works and you see it in your results, then hey, this works. This system works because there's the evidence. There's the, there's the proof. The uh, the no, you, you, the belief. You, you're right in as much the the belief is you've got to have powerful beliefs, and your beliefs will justify a lot of your actions. Mm. You know what? As, a, as an aside, um, when James did his MSc at Brunel, I used to teach him stats. Him and t him, him and uh, come on, give us some gossip. Oh, come on. It's quite. It was quite funny. Uh, the the uh, it was good. He finished his MSc. He did a good MSc project. James did. Um, he did Moo, did rowers. Oh, a training camp. Was that based upon people that he rode with by any chance? Matt well, always eating cake. Steve yeah. always grumpy. Tim always injured. Me. It's an, an MSc thesis where he got the science team to help him collect the data. Okay. This is, this is uh, twenty-five years ago, but. Um, we like James. We we have a soft spot for James. He's good. Yeah, yeah. He's good. He's a very determined individual. That is saying so. We did some work with him when he did that uh, uh, cycle across uh, uh, cycle across Japan, I think. And we he just had the road accident, and we we put him in the coal chamber at um, Bisham Abbey with various tests on him to whether he could um, keep concentrating on it. sort of because of the the brain injury so he used to mm. ride as hard as possible and change tires jump on and ride as possible to so that he wouldn't leave his glove off so that, that was a um, quite that on discovery channel all of that yeah actually that was a question that i wanted to lead into lou and if, if we get away from you trying to find the secret of eternal youth with the placebo um his <laughs> his 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 mindset yeah his his insane determination because it, it is literally yeah. i will i will carry on in the cold chamber until i collapse and someone has mm -hmm. to pull me out which is is that a mindset he developed or or was he born with it like a like a sociopathy or a or, or you know um borderline personality disorder or so is it because what i want to ask is because loon and i have talked about this a lot is there a particular psychological trait that makes an athlete? And we're thinking about rowers because we, we we've we can talk about data, we can talk about winning stuff, we can talk about whatever, and you can watch the boys in the boat or, or you know you know book, read books about rowing. 
I don't think anyone's quite got why rowers quite do what they do. There's something almost spiritual or mystical about it. And we're wondering if it has a psychological component. So was James Cracknell born like that or did he make himself like that? And is it something that you find in other rowers, strokes, slash athletes? The, the, yeah, uh, the, well, the um, certainly it, it, James and others who are very high achievers do have a strong desire to be, strong desire to win, desire to do the best they can possible. The it's not it to some to the, there will be some genetic part part of that. But the more powerful part of that will be that it's learned over time. They've learned over time. Uh, J J James and is via the growing training that hard work is the underpinning of success. Will that'll be part of his mindset and other people's mindsets that it won't be so physically driven. So um, if you unpack what the key parts of performance are that the ability to push yourself very hard if that's a key part of it then you will always push yourself very hard in training and that will that will be a big driver of your performance what is common across people across high achievers across rowing cycling music and and guitarist bass players is that they that the, the the inter the internal motivation is is really high, and the focus to the focus to to do. I think I've heard. I think I've heard you talk about this. That the focus to practice is colossal. The ten thousand hours estimate that's in that book, and and it gets in and around Eric Erickson's rather better, more elegant work of deliberate practice. Is that such such performers seek deliberate practice and deliberate practice is practice which is hard work which is putting them in the in the environment where they've got to learn to cope with the difficult parts and the parts that that push them to be better and that's striving to to be that way the, the environment's got to be there in order to do so that there's got to be support in the environment to do so that the inter the the the, the motivation you talked about that earlier you know success develops motivation so you might be a, a highest a high achiever you might want to be the best boxer possible. If you lose your first 20 fights, it's pretty difficult to then go for 21. And so environment is then in, it is developing your mindset. The, um, the, the nature of, of rowing training, of, of long duration and short, and then sometimes short bouts of intense training, the mindset for which uh, rowers get very good at is to numb that deafening, physiological sensations of pain because most of the events are over quite quickly they're over in the, the, the 2k or is uh, is over in a point where the person will be in a will be able to bathe in lactic acid from pushing themselves so hard to the before they really need to be slowing down too much about that and it, it gets uh, to, or to turn off the sensations to push right the way through that um so they learn to be very good at coping with very dense, dense physiological difficulties, and that's and and knowing that's part of the deal is all part of the. I heard this from one of your ones, the coaching environment to to offer support for that. Never mind what you've also alluded to is that that rowing in is a team sport, 
and their sense of collective, I mm. can't let the other person down, is absolutely colossal. Not talked about that and the idea that you, you do not let your teammates down and you um, the synchronization of movement is really powerful driver for what you're going to be doing. As um, uh, and therefore you you keep going. I don't think it's I don't think it's it's innate though. There's innate to a point, but you can learn it to a large part. It might well be, and I joke about my March the twenty third birthday being waiting for my Olympian. I might be I may and I know I'm ridiculously competitive. I'm looking for my sport, and I know that's a joke. But the um, the the it, you you go to find different things. You might find on you you're much better at than others, and we mm. often don't do that. By the way, on your on your rowing, you you have always been rowers. What well, that can be quite difficult because you have got your twenty year old self to compare yourself against. My rowing hasn't got a twenty year old to compare itself against. So my goals are far kinder than my running goals, which which I've learned to go that my five k when I was eighteen. It was was long gone from when I was forty. I then have to reconceptualise all of that. It, going to different sports as you get older stops you having that thirty-year-old comparison to get yourself. And a lot of the running colleagues I can get really quite negative about their inability to beat the times which they have no chance against. Because no matter how well you protect yourself against age, you do get older. Hmm. Well, I mean, you talk about finding your sport, and you haven't found yours yet, which is intriguing. It's a joke. <laughs> I know because I I actually Did came to row. I I didn't I didn't start as a rower and yeah. neither and Lewin didn't. Yeah. He started as a swimmer. I came yeah. to rowing after trying northeast. So there's football, there's rugby, yeah. there's cricket, yeah. there's there's running for Bladen Harriers, there's tennis, there's squash. Rowing was definitely my sport. I only wish that I'd found it. I'd found it earlier. It's the sport where I felt the most fulfilled and like yeah. I'm more. I'm who who I am is more aligned with the with, with the sport. Whereas Lou and you came to it through swimming, didn't you? So it's still kind of straight line measurement. Yeah, I mean the the the, the metrication of rowing, and particularly the metrication of indoor rowing, is something that is like a very kind of natural, comforting place for me. Um, but yes, that that kind of I know what I could do five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago. It gets increasingly brutal. Mm-hmm. But this is this is what having age group is mm. is around, and I'm I'm aware that I've got. You, you know, you know how you said you oh, you know, the big five O is coming up, and then it's like there's fifty five, and then oh my god, you're thinking about sixty. Here's the thing: the big five O, I get in that, and the people in that age group are there is a lot of them I can beat. So you know that you you there, there's certain advantages to thinking. So like, oh, you know, actually, there's only one person in like the fifty plus age group who over five hundred meters I'm genuinely scared of, and I've never put myself through a proper five hundred meter training program, and so I reckon I've got a chance there. So there, there's already a plan with that. It's like it's this constant. Is this constant, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, there's always the next race. And being 48, 49 is, is tricky because there, there are these guys who you see them coming up in their late 30s and you're just going to say, yeah, it's going to get a bit miserable. 
don't vlog book results are going to get a bit miserable yeah. in about yeah. 18 months. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that's something that concept two, whether deliberately or unconsciously, got very, very right yeah. with kind of like the, the age group logbook. And it automatically goes, I mean, if you if you look at the events, it automatically logs you into your age group, not like oh. the entire, entire thing. You have to select yeah. all ages naturally. Um, so th that is one thing. But, you know, yeah, it's it's don't don't look up, look around. The, the the and the concept two bit does get the I mean the, the competition. I one year that I noticed that somebody would look at the scores and then they'd go. So I'd do my two k and that and I'd go one ahead of this person, and then three days later they've gone and done it. So I thought right, that's it. So I then give that. I never look at some of the other ones, and he's followed me across all of them. Yeah. So you go right. Well, we'll we won't have this. <laughs> um, we'll, we won't have this at all. We'll go back in and, and, we'll, you, and you start strategizing, and then not to not to really smash it, but to just chip it away of it and play it along for a while. I used to find have, that very funny. Have you enjoyable? The, the CTC, the Cross Team Challenge. No, I've done that. All no. oh, right, it, it, it's great. It's basically c2ctc.com. It's this ridiculously ancient website. It's, it, I think it's a PHP website. Um, that hasn't been updated for 20 years. But it is, it's literally that every month there's a challenge. Mm. And it's just one challenge. And if you really put your mind to it, you can get into these like incremental oh, yeah, yeah, little yeah, yeah. battles with yeah. someone over about four weeks and just knack yourself out. It's absolutely brilliant fun. Well, I think it's brilliant fun. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. we did, uh, my, my partner and I did a team challenge at Christmas over January. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the uh, she's not over that. She's not that competitive, and not been rowing or doing it that much. But you, of which this, and I've done this in teams where people go, "Oh, we're just a fun team," and I'll and I'll say, um, "Oh, we are seventieth uh, at the moment." She says, oh, "There's only seventy teams." And I said, "No, no, no. There's four hundred teams." And so yeah, then they yeah. go, and then she goes, "Where are we now?" So well, we've moved up to thirtieth. Oh, and you can see that performance generates motivation. But then she goes, "Oh, I'll go for an hour tonight then," and you yeah. go, and and so on. It's I for someone who's not got a strong sporting identity to just watch that motivation, strength, and and that then that commitment to the commitment to to um, succeeding, and then pushing yourself a bit further than you would have done before and and because it's worth it and because you're in part of a team and to put and the uncomfortableness of all that comes with is is i think is a really nice part of how those things quite going um the uh and yeah it, which is of which um her family would go why are you doing that but you went rowing yesterday <laughs> and it's kind of that that the the someone the a group who have not got that athlete, that identity or that collect that goal that this is really important and you do get a bit tired but actually resting and doing nothing doesn't necessarily mean you recover from being tired and that's another yeah. unusual for people without, without that to go oh you better rest why don't you have a rest day well, i'll be I'll, I'll feel worse if i have a rest day it's actually yeah. better for me to do to just go easy into this or do this or do or or 
some other form of exercise, but sitting will make me feel absolutely terrible. And they go, why? I said, when you only sat on a plane, you didn't feel great at the end of it, did you? Right. Well, knee not exercising has a similar effect on quite a lot of days. Mm. That kind yeah, of that's well, our bodies are built, you know, we, we were built to lope across the Serengeti for hours on end looking for food and, you know, things to eat. So Absolutely. sitting down for eight to 12 hours, you know, is our bodies are built to be used and that's something we forget and if you don't do it i mean you mentioned this earlier in the conversation andy uh, a lot of people's biggest um difficulty in getting into exercise is the physiological response can be overwhelming of oh my god this is so hard but it's if you get past that and get into the idea you know you watch a child that's born into the world you know, as soon as they can, as soon as they can, they try and walk. As soon as they can, they start to move and start to use their bodies. You know, so it's it's innate. You just have to get back to that. I I talk to that, and I say, look, the um, when how much of a reward did that child need to get to crawl? None of them said, "I'm not crawling unless I get this." Yeah, I'm not. Um, but we're, us now, when we go to exercise, we need all this. Well, we, do, we need all these reinforcements to actually say, "Well done," very much. We've, we've learned that. We've learned that. It's not uh, in na- our natural state is to is to move. It may not be that our natural state is not to do much sprinting. Mm. Um, our natural state is to keep things quite conservative. Uh, but people get so unfit that the actual physiological response goes to the extreme at at what might seem of what not that much physical activity, and that then sends all the signals to stop. And the message to that is to go is to drop the intensity, mm. of which your equipment now makes it really easy to do that. And sadly, for great great portions of the population, just moving around is is at an intensity that's too hard. So they're always looking to for methods to do things easier. But certainly, I mean, rowing is a great sport for for everybody at every age, and accordingly, because it takes you can. Um, a great and the, the great sport, which is unknown, even the con is that it's so technically difficult. Yeah. Because biking for the old, they can get onto bike and it's quite easy on an ergo. And running or walking on a treadmill, and the cross train is easy. And the but the concept too takes some effort to get any good at it, not because it's physically hard, but because of the skill part to it. It's why I think the switch from swimming to rowing would have been a naturally easy one because you'd start go well. I've heard of the catch, getting that bit right, and just that little the, the pause at the start would have been um, a th- th- something you look out for, which you don't if you're not a swimmer, you don't necessarily look out for. I I never truly understood what the catch was meant to feel like until I started rowing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that 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 was that was a re- you know te- technically I was a very poor swimmer. Okay. Physically, I was a very, very fit swimmer. Um, stop laughing, Aaron. Stop Sorry. it. Um, I have said on record on this podcast that, that that you are now an absolutely superb rower. You 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 know you have actually developed into a technically very very astute one. I I've never said much much that when you came to Agecroft, you you had the catch and finish of a Viking berserker putting an axe into the chest cavity. <laughs> it was temporary, but they deserved it. <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that motion of putting it, the blade in the water and then feeling it stick. 
and then actually managing so, so you're not pulling too hard that it's moving through the water but you're pulling as hard as you can to accelerate the boat that was something that you know when i've tried swimming afterwards i've actually found i've become a better swimmer because i started rowing i'm gonna say that we, we've had you here for for coming up to an hour and 50 minutes and okay. it's been absolutely brilliant i don't want to so, but i don't want to like take your entire day and it's actually getting dark outside it is getting dark. um <laughs> i'm gonna ask you if i may one last question okay what is the that one piece of advice that you would give to any kind of aspiring sports person or exerciser that if, if, if you just said, oh, just try this one? Yeah, the, um, I think that people should try and learn what their mental game is all about and not be bemused by that, but simply to reflect on, on performance and write down how they felt and thought and then look at that and go, how would I have liked to have felt and thought? And then from that, ask questions of other people because they those that get those get commonality, and then look for then look at how other people have done so because you then you start picking up some tips around that about the 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 self talk around what's functional, and you know self talk that those who have been coached having those coaching points fed into your self talk so that you get the key parts of the thoughts really fun really can be helpful. And that sounds ridiculously simple, which, and if it does, that's good because it's something people can do and not yeah. seek for something really complicated. So reflect on performance. Those people with concept twos, it's even better because you can look through the performance and you can, you can then re, 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 um, replay that um, and then just get that narrative clear in your head. Use imagery to replay it in your head to do it differently. Look at the self-talk. And you'll make some progress. Great. That uh, I think that's a spend bit of advice. Okay. Professor Andy Lane, thank you very much indeed. Very good. We didn't talk about the bass player. Maybe next time. <laughs> well, that means you know what that means, don't you, Andy? It means you've got to come back on at some the, the, um, I'm coming back at this house. I haven't got enough guitars. I've got all my guitars at another house. How many guitars is enough, Andy? I don't know about uh, how many times have I, I've I've got uh, one, two, five. Okay. The, the answer to any question that starts how many guitars Not is enough is one more. One more. Always yeah. one more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to come yeah, to seven string. Yeah. The, uh, the uh, tuning a twelve string is a life goal, isn't it? Oh, I don't. I don't actually own a twelve string, and it's precisely because this. I love them. Yeah. They're such a pain in the arse to tune. They, they are, are pain in the bum to tune. They are. They are. But you've got to come back on it at some point. Oh, okay. you know, because that was a great chat. That was fantastic. Is the, is the BBC stuff still online or, or bits of it? Certainly the article is. Okay. I'm just because you're dead right. You want to talk to a sport to a psychologist or a sports psychologist, you they go, Well, it's gonna cost you X hundred pounds. It's like, well, okay, I'll just buy the book instead. Um, I really like the idea of almost automating yeah. these the interventions or automating so you can learn a bit about how this, you know, because you see like Liverpool have got a sports psychologist and uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan's got a sports psychologist and so-and-so's got a sports psychologist. And I'm sure there's a lot, there must be a lot of athletes out there who go, well, actually, I'd like to understand that, who've been put off by the, well, it's going to cost you. 
Yeah, and all the, and all the, and then all of the the uh, you know for some people they say to their parents, "I've seen a sports psychologist," and the parents will go, "What? You're mad? Mm. Well, you're not." And and all the bits that come with that. Yeah, when I, when I, you know, when I work with a boxer, we just me as I was just known as a coach. We just yeah. didn't we didn't have that title around. It was just so. There's no stigma about oh, I'm seeing no a psychologist. No well, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, no stigma. Um, and then. The extent to which they can, you can really offer any real gains is also slightly iffy to some people. Mm. But so I think the, there's that mid-ground about, about um, scaling it up is quite important. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, that was a thanks for taking the time. Next time, come on, we'll start with the bass playing. I'll break out a guitar. Lewin can break out the bass uke, and you can break out something with six strings, and we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll make a rock together. <laughs> well okay. thank you very much again and um yeah that was absolutely brilliant that was okay. brilliant to talk to you yeah there's a bit of you, andy and uh, hey. take care of yourself <laughs>